Excellent. Good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ali. I'm uh, one of the elders of the church, um, but based primarily in Chester Street. And uh, every now and then they let me back here um, for good behavior. So here I am. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's very exciting. We are continuing through our sermon seri- series in Romans. Um, uh, we've made the decision we're going to continue on past Romans 8. We weren't sure at one point, but it will continue in a few weeks' time past Romans 8, which is also very exciting, uh, especially if you know Romans 9 to 11, so we've got that to look forward to. And uh, so Romans 8, 28 to 39 is what we're going to be reading today. So if you've got your Bible, please turn to it. Uh, the title, if you like titles, some people do, is Victim or Victor. Guess which one you should be. Um, so <laughs> the suspense is killing you. Right, Romans 8. 28 to 39, I just, uh, I think uh, a couple of weeks ago Ian preached, he said Romans 8 is often seen as the, the, the kind of best, best crowning jewel, thank you, of, of scripture. And this part of Romans 8 is often seen as the crown of the crowning jewel, if that's such a thing. So here we are, Romans 8, verses 28 to 39. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you that we are yours, that those who trust in you belong to you, and we have such security in that place, those who are in Christ. Lord, we thank you for these words. Lord, we thank you that they are power by your spirit. They are power to us this morning. And Lord God, I pray that there will be powerful encounters in each of our hearts and lives, which transforms the way that we think about who we are and the way that we think about who you are. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, compared to what we've just read, my feeble words, humanly, are nothing. But by your spirit, I pray, God, that they would, they would accentuate what's there in Scripture rather than detract from it. So come, Lord. We need you in this place right now. Amen. Amen. Uh, I hate losing. Anyone else hate losing? 
I'm really, really competitive. And uh, so much so, uh, when I was an 18-year-old, um, which is quite old, for, when I tell the story, I realise you're quite old to do this, I'll probably still do it today. But as an 18-year-old, we were away on holiday as a family, and um, there was a table tennis table in this cottage we were staying at, and uh, I was playing table tennis against my, it was, we have a like, family table tennis competition, uh, and uh, playing against my two sisters, who are admittedly a few years older than me, but uh, I guess it's man pride. <laughs> and I don't like losing against my sisters at anything, especially not ta- any sport, because I think I'm better at sport than them. And table tennis. So uh, we were playing table tennis, and I lost. And to be honest, I went in a sulk for about four hours, I think. I distinctly remember it in this cottage. Went away, and I was, like, crying. And, and this is an 18-year-old, so this is bad, bad. If it happened today, I'll probably do the same. And I'm now 31. But anyway, um, and... Uh, We've got a son called Joel, and he's just turned four this last week, and uh, we gave him an air hockey game, um, and, you know, there's like a mini air, not a proper big one, but a mini one, still fun there, and, <laughs> and we've been playing it a little bit, and uh, he's actually quite good for a four-year-old, I'll give him his due, he's quite good, but my years of air hockey training and experience stand me in good stead, and to be honest, I could probably beat him 10-0, um, <laughs> but being the compassionate dad that I am, I let him get really close. <laughs> it goes one all, two all, three all. All day I've gone five three. Let's it's easy it off slightly. Five all, <laughs> and then it's a nine all, and then I try my hardest. And <laughs> I win ten nine. You've got to teach them young, haven't you, about losing? And but he's just <laughs> he's, he's just entered this this quite um, competitive streak himself. So he's not he's, he inherits it from me, I think, and probably from his mum. But uh, he's uh, it's, it's good fun. That was light-hearted, obviously. But on a more serious note, do you ever feel like you're losing at life? I do sometimes. I have in the past. It's like when those circumstances of life, the stuff of life, just seems to be overpowering you. It's like, wow, I'm on the losing side. Maybe for some of us, it's like our lives, the whole lives on the whole, have just felt like we're... Lose, losing, we're losing the battle, we're, we're being defeated, we're being crushed by all that is going on around us. Maybe it's your health, it's relationships, maybe finances, maybe your work. Maybe it's something going wrong with the house again, or something going wrong with the car again, or a combination of all of these things, and it feels like everything is just getting on top of you. And what happens is that very easily, I think we can adopt a victim mentality. And a victim mentality is that mentality which says that everything is against me. Everyone else, everything and everyone is out to get me. And when I look at the future, all I can see is negative stuff. Do you ever feel like that? Maybe some of us right now are feeling like that. And I think it's one of Satan's biggest weapons that he has, he has many weapons, this is one of them that he seeks to paralyse Christians with by making us feel as though we are the victims, that we're on the losing side, that he has got the better, he and his, his efforts around us have got the better of us, and there is very little optimism when we look to the future. And a victim mentality can be spotted in our lives in a whole number of ways, but three ways I think we can spot it. Number one is a victim mentality will be seen in how you speak. Your speech will be characterised by criticism and by grumbling and uh, negative words. 
Secondly, a victim mentality can be spotted, I think, when you see your life becoming very, very insular and self-centered because of all the stuff that's going on in your lives. Everything going on in your life is, is, is kind of taken over and you're not really able to even ask others how they're doing because it has become very much about, about, about you. And thirdly, a victim mentality causes us to hold on to injustices, it causes us to hold on to pain, it causes us to hold on to business that we have in our lives as we feel like we're the victims and everyone's out to get us. We struggle to forgive. But God says, in a whole number of ways, but he says very, very, very clearly in this passage that we are not victims But in Christ, we are victors. We are more than victors. We are more than conquerors, that verse 37 says. And you might say, well, you don't know my life. You don't know all that is going on in my life right now. And I don't probably. I know some situations going on in some people's lives right now, but I know very few, relatively speaking. But what I do know is verse 31 of this passage. It's a dynamite power verse. If God is for us, then who or what can be against us? I know that God is for you. Right now, God is for you. He looks on your life. He looks at all the circumstances going on in your life. And he is for you. He hasn't turned his back on you. It is impossible for God to be against you. It is impossible for God to say, actually, uh, the stuff that you've done has made me now kind of just step back from you slightly and, and put my, my gaze upon someone else. Or the things going on in your life are actually a result of the stuff that you've done because I'm, I'm actually not for you anymore. That is just not how God works. He is for you. And the amazing thing is, that if God is for us, who can be against us? Because it's very nice to know that John Parker, for example, is for me, which I think he might be sometimes, and <laughs> all the time. But, but that's good to know that he's for me. But actually, although it feels good to know that, that John is for me, there's very little John can do. He can pray, obviously, but that's again kind of coming under God. But there's very little he can do when everything in life might suddenly turn against me, practically speaking. He can help out, he can do little bits and pieces. But, there's, but, but when God is for us, the one who created heaven and earth is for us, it means that the one who has all power to do all things in your life is for you. That is astonishing, because that means, not only is it a, oh, it's a nice feeling, but actually there is this knowledge that the sovereign God Most High can do something about it, and is doing something about it, even when it doesn't even feel like he's doing something about it. God is for you. And I just want to dwell on this a slightly, that, that, we're vic- that we're victors, not victims, because it's a crucial identity issue in our lives. Because without Jesus, we all feel like, vi- we all feel like victims. <laughs> without Jesus, we are all victims. We're victims of life. The circumstances of life, the sin in our lives, injustice, death even. We're victims of these things, and we have absolutely nothing that we can do about it. Our identity, without Jesus, if you're without Jesus here this morning, you haven't put your trust in him, can I say that you are a victim of life, the circumstances of life. And you, you can try and do stuff about it, but ultimately you're powerless. Death really just speaks that powerfully over your life. It's looming for all of us one day, and it speaks that we are victims of this life without Christ. 
But in coming to know Jesus, in putting your trust in Jesus, a dramatic and decisive identity change occurs in your life. And you go from victim to victor. You go from the losing side with, with Satan as chief to winning side with Jesus Christ as your captain. And that is a glorious place to be. Because all who are in Christ are victors, are more than victors. When everything seems to be against you, that is who you are. This morning, that is who you are. That is who you are. <laughs> you are a victor in Christ Jesus. That is your identity. That is, call yourself it. I am a more than conqueror. Just go around saying it to people. Maybe in the church, maybe outside the church might need a bit more explanation. But I, <laughs> I am a more than conqueror. That is who I am. And I know that's hard. I'm not, I'm not trivialising the suffering. I'm not trivialising the challenges. But we need to speak the truth in the midst of it. That is who you are. Maybe you're thinking, it would be really nice to know that God is for me. It would be really nice to know that I'm a more than conqueror. That would be nice to know. But how can I have any certainty? How can I really know that God is for me? I mean, life doesn't really tell me right now that he's for me. How can I know that he is for me? Well, verse 32, Paul goes on and tells us how. Straight after that, he says, he who did not spare his own son, that's God, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously, along with him, give us all things? You know God is for you, because he gave his son for you. I love the picture of, uh, it's it's not in the Bible, but it's a picture I have in my mind, of... um, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit having like a Trinitarian holy huddle. And, uh, <laughs> and they're gathering together, like the pre-match gathering, and uh, group, the, the band were doing it earlier, actually. So just imagine that, but a lot more magnificent. Um, <laughs> and and, and they're, they're gathering together, and they're also one, not three different people. But anyway, they're gathering together, <laughs> and, 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 and they say in complete unity... We are for this earth that we have created. And they look at your life and they say, we are for him. We are for her. And this is before anything's created, but knowing what is to come. And God the Father says to God the Son, will you, will you go in love to demonstrate that we are for this earth? Will you go and give your life on a cross for them? Full of the Holy Spirit. And God the Son looks at God the Father who says, yes, I will go willingly. And together they say, we will go. Because we are for the earth. We are for the people upon this earth. And we will willingly give ourselves for them. On the cross, God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit declare once and for all, I am for you. On the cross... Jesus, the one who has reigned victoriously since the beginning of time, became a victim of his own creation. He endured the very worst that the, that the powers of earth and hell could throw at, hi, at, at him, and he triumphed over them on the cross. Colossians 2 verse 15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities, earthly and heavenly, and, uh, earthly and spiritual, sorry, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 
He has conquered. We are more than conquerors in Christ because Jesus has already done it and now we are in him. All that is his is now ours. The victory he has won is us. He rose from the dead. He, Jesus, it says in that later on in the verses there, that he, he died, he rose, he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is now interceding for us. That is a place of all authority that he is in, and we are in Christ. It says in Ephesians 2, we are seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. That's a place of authority. Not that's the, what's going to happen one day. Right now, that is who we are as identity as we walk through the trials and tribulations of this life. One day, gloriously, we will experience it in all its fullness. But right now, it is still who you are. God is for you. And just for the remainder of the time, I want to look at four ways that this passage says that God is for us. Because if we're going to move from being victims to victors in the way that we think and the way that we live, we need to live in these truths. So, firstly, we know that God is for us. God makes all things in your life work together for good. This has just come up. I mean, I've been, I listened to a recording from here last week. Obviously, it's come up this morning. We, we know this is true, <laughs> but, but we just need to live in it. So I'm not going to dwell too long on it because I've got lots to do. But verse 28, it says that very clearly. When things are against you and you are suffering, stand on the truth of the utter sovereignty of God, that he is able to take the worst, most seemingly meaningless things in your life and to bring meaning and beauty and good out of them the big why question of our suffering may not be answered right now in fact it may not even be answered in this life you might look back you might look at things now think why i I don't understand but one day the why will be answered when we see jesus face to face one day it will it will it will fit into the big tapestry of life and of the universe that God is putting together in all of history and it will make sense. We can trust, we can know for certain that there is a why, even when we can't see the why. And one, one why of all suffering, of all things in our lives, actually, is, is given in the next verse, in verse 29, where it talks about how we are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's son, Jesus Christ. And so we can know with confidence, I believe, that in all situations, even the worst situations, God is doing something in making you to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered extremely. (laughs) And as you suffer, you share in the sufferings of Jesus. And there is something about being united to him, which is a beautiful thing, which is which is a deep work that is happening inside and outside. You might not always know it, but it's going on right now in the midst of your suffering, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And he is beautiful. We all want to be beautiful, don't we? Some of us may be outwardly, but inwardly is the most important thing. And there is a beauty that God can bring even through our suffering. Number two, God finishes what he starts in you. He's a finisher. Some of us like to start things. Uh, some of us don't get very far after that. But God finishes what he starts. Okay, verse um, verse 30 is a beautiful verse. It's, called the, it's called, often called a golden chain. And we'll just read it. It says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's a chain of divine actions going on in your life. 
and it is unbreakable. This is a chain that cannot be broken. It doesn't notice it relies on divine action, not on any human action. It doesn't add in, oh, and then Ali did something, or then the human did something. It's God did it, God did it, God did it, God did it. One inevitably leads to the next. It cannot be broken. So those whom he foreknew and who he predestined before anything was created, he also called in the midst of creation. And those whom he called, he also most certainly justified. That is, he made right with God. And those whom he justified, he most certainly also glorified. You're in that chain if you're a follower of Jesus and you cannot be taken out of it. Nothing can snatch you out of it. We can have complete assurance. Some of us might be thinking, oh, it's nice to know that there's a good future at the end. But how on earth do I know I'm ever going to get there? Can I have any assurance? Can I have any confidence? Yes, you can. 100%. Once you're called and you're justified. Actually, even before that, <laughs> right before the world was created, your glorification was made certain in the purposes of God. God is in the middle of outworking a great and glorious purpose in your life. Salvation purpose. Salvation isn't just a past thing or a present thing. It's past, present and future. And God is in the middle of outworking it in your life right now. And you can be certain he's going to complete it. It's an unstoppable force. I love the way that he talks about being glorified as something that's already happened. Connects that verse in Ephesians 2 that we are now seated in Christ in the heavenly places. He can say it because he's looking at it from the divine standpoint. You might say, my life doesn't feel very glorious right now. Well, God looks at your life and he sees you as a glorified person because it's so certain that you are going to share in the glory of Jesus Christ when he returns that right now you are seen by God as one who is already glorified. Wow. I'm sure of this, Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6. I'm sure, I'm convinced, I'm 100%, I'm certain, there's no doubt about it, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So all the chaos of your life right now, know that God is still completing his work in you of salvation. And there is a bright future. Thirdly, God justifies you completely. Completely. Verses 33 and 34, let's read those again. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Is it, it is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who dies. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Wow. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? He's putting these questions, he's just throwing these spaces out, these spaces, these questions out into space, looking for someone to answer, and no answer's coming back because the answer is no one. No one can bring any charge against God's elect. No effective charge, people can have claims to charge us with different things, but actually those who are God's elect, who are his people, are free from any accusation. Picture a courtroom. You're before the judge, and you know your guilt. It's obvious for all to see. Certainly the judge. And you're just awaiting the terrible sentence that is due to come your way. And then to the shock of everyone in the courtroom, the judge says that all charges have been dropped and you're free to go. That's what's happened in Christ over your life. All charges have been dropped and you're free to go. There is no condemnation for those 
who are in Christ Jesus. That's why that's what he says in chapter 8, verse 1. It's also the question he asks next, who can condemn? No one can condemn. Because you are justified, you are declared not guilty by Almighty God. And do you know his declaration, his, his, his claim over your life, his, <laughs> is, is, is the only one that really matters. Because what can happen in our lives is very often we can start listening to other claims in our lives, other accusations or charges of who we are. So um, there are different judgments that we can listen to. First of all, we can listen to the judgment of ourselves. Maybe some of us live lives where we're judging ourselves negatively. We're not reaching that standard or that target that we know we should be. And so we constantly self-condemned. It's a burden that we're, we're living with. And God says that is not the judgment that counts. The only judgment that counts is my judgment. And I say you are not guilty. You are free to go. There are no charges against you. Maybe others of us live under the judgment of others. Maybe some of us have lived up in, uh, grown up in contexts where there's been charge after charge after charge against us of not being good enough. God says you're free to go. You're not guilty. Maybe some of us now are in relationships or contexts where it feels like we're, we're constantly made to feel we're not hitting the mark. God says you're not guilty. You're free to go. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There will be all sorts of charges from ourselves and from others during the course of your life, but none can be successful. Let them fall to the ground. Do not listen to them. Do not live in them, but go back to the... Back to the the declaration of the only one that matters, the judge, almighty God, which says you are not guilty. Go free. Live free. Stop living under the judgment of others or yourselves. And fourthly, God loves you with a fierce love. That's how we know God is for us. Uh, the sermon yesterday was great uh, and uh, <laughs> at the wedding and uh, just throw away comment of, of I think it was this probably misquoted now but just there, there is there is power in love there is power in love there is power in love there's power in any love relationship but there is power in knowing that you are loved by the one who created you by the one that is eternally for you by the one whose gaze and affection is always upon you he doesn't get distracted he doesn't get sidelined. Amazingly, his gaze can be on every single person all at the same time. That is astonishing, uh, but there we go. And it's always upon you, and he loves you. He delights in you. It's the overflow of his love for his son, whom his gaze has already always been on for all eternity. And in Christ Jesus, now we all get that gaze of God, the loving gaze of God. Think about how someone you love dearly for a moment. Think about what you would do to defend them. Think about how angry you'd get if someone tried to hurt them. That pales into insignificance compared to the fierce love of Almighty God. He defends you with everything. He is for you so much that he gave his own son. He loves you with an everlasting love. It is fierce. It is unstoppable. It is consistent and constant. It never ends. It never, it never uh, loses its, its power. 
He loves you with a fierce love. It is uncompromising. It is devoted to you. He loves you with a fierce love. And I love that Paul hurls these questions into space, but this one I just love the most because he, he just really gets going here and that's why he gives so many verses to it. So he's, he's already hurled four questions and now he hurls this fifth one out in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's like he's defiantly and triumphantly challenging any power in any of creation and any of the spiritual realms to come forward, to put up their hands and say, yep, I can do it. But there's silence. And he just declares boldly. Well, he follows on with the question with an implied negative. This tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, any earth, in other words, any earthly things, circumstances, Maybe it's not one of those, but I'm sure a lot of us are going through earthly things right now. We think, can any of that really separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, no. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. And then he really steps up. And he starts just picking out all these words just to try and, try and in human English words, which is pretty difficult, try and get the vastness of the love of God and, and reach out into all sorts of directions as to what could possibly separate us from the love of God in Christ. And so he, he talks about, can any state of existence separate us from the love of Christ, death or life? No. Can any earthly powers separate us from the love of Christ? No. Can any, using my place, can any, what else did he say? Can, can any angels or rulers, that is any good or evil spiritual powers separate us from the love of Christ? No. Can any, uh, things present or things to come. In other words, can anything in time, not just now spatial stuff, but now we're looking at temporal things, can any time or anything that happens now or in the future separate us from the love of Christ? No. Can any height or depth, now he's just going crazy, height or anything that you can think of, that's as high as you can get or as low as you can go, the lowest hell, the highest heaven, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And then he just says the concluded thing, nor can anything in all of creation. Nothing, nothing, nothing. You are more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. God is for you. The love of God for you in Christ is too fierce that the greatest enemy that comes your way, even death itself, is burned up into nothingness by his love. It's an all-consuming fire. And so things try and get close to it, it just burns up. Just burns up. Love overpowers. Love wins. And so, a really simple question for you. Do you know that God really, really, really loves you? Or are you listening to the lie of Satan, which says, this thing is happening in your life right now because God's started to drift away from you started to give up on you or that sin that you've committed again is going to cause God's God's love to run out on you they're lies they're lies and they cause us to be victims They cause us to become focused on ourselves, to retreat from living out into the fullness of God's kingdom that he has called you to live in. And if we listen to it, we're allowing, in our minds, Satan to win. (laughs) 
rather than allowing the love of God and the victory of Jesus Christ to win. The love of God in Christ for you is as constant and fierce right now in the midst of your suffering as it ever has been and ever can be. In the midst of your suffering, it's as strong as ever. So, God is for you. And that means he will make all things in your life work for good, no matter how bad they seem. He will finish the great work of salvation that he has started in you. It's an ongoing thing, and he will finish what he started. He has justified you completely and will declare you not guilty of all charges when you, when you're on judgment day, when you see him face to face. And he loves you so fiercely that nothing can separate you from it. Nothing in earth, heaven, or hell. Go back to the first slide. So are you a victim or a victor this morning? The truth is we're all victors. But what are you going to live in? What's the reality that you're going to leave this place in? Some of us might need prayer just to, God, to renew our minds this morning. As we sing our song in the final song in a moment, just to renew our minds. Because the kicker, really, in this passage, which I think is amazing, in verse 37 which we've looked at, but it's just amazing. It says, in all these things. What things? In the good times, sunny days. In all these things, in other words, when we're threatened with death and there's famine and there's tribulation and distress. In all these things, you're a more than conqueror. Literally, you're a, you're a super conqueror. That's, <laughs> that's the literally one word in the Greek. You're a super conqueror. And the reason we can have such confidence that in these things, in the lowest times we're more than conquerors, is because there is one who has pioneered the way already. There is one, Jesus Christ, who, who has reigned victoriously since the beginning of time. And yet he winningly became a victor. He endured suffering and he pioneered the way of victory through suffering. The cross led to the resurrection. The grave is empty. He's now alive and well. And he says, now come with me. The journey I'm taking you on will be one of glory through suffering. But I'm with you and I'm for you as we journey through to that glorious destination. Let's pray. And if the band could come up. If we could just stand, if if you're able to. We haven't got loads of time, but we're going to sing a song in a moment and just... During that, if you feel, just come to the front quickly, don't hang around. Um, if you feel like you just need prayer to, for your mindset to be one of a victor in Christ, a more than a victor in Christ, rather than this kind of victim mentality this, this, that, that, that we can live in, then I'd just love you to come forward and just receive prayer. Because this isn't a condemnation thing, because, man, I've, I've lived there in that place, and circumstances of your life may well say you should live there, but God says you mustn't live there. And so, Lord, would you come by your spirit, I pray now. Lord, would you renew our minds? Would you fix our eyes? We heard it earlier. Fix our eyes upon the beautiful, beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. Would we see his victory and know that in him we are more than conquerors? Would we know this morning, God, by your spirit, that we are loved, 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 loved? Pour your love out into our hearts by your Holy Spirit, we pray, as we sing this song. Your love never runs out on us, Lord. You are for us, and we give you thanks. Let's worship, and please come to the front to receive prayer if you want to.